Well, today we're going to do something a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to talk about philosophies such as Malthusianism, eugenics, and climate change. The climate crisis, I guess you'd call it. It may seem weird that I'm talking about this, but I saw a lot of garbage online, and there are a lot of television shows that seem to be pushing this climate crisis thing and how we need to change our lives and we need to change the lives of our children and all this garbage and it's going to change the thing is it our lives are changing right now things that we see as the new normal we're kind of ignoring and we really shouldn't be ignoring this and i think we need to talk about all the things that are happening in society and, and it's all in the name of this climate crisis crap that politicians are are pushing. When we talk about the climate crisis, I want you to 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 mix some things together with it and wonder, okay, why? Why is our society pushing abortion? Why is our society so desperate to trans kids? Why is drug legalization a thing? Why is homelessness a thing? Why is it legal to be homeless and make everybody's life miserable? And finally, something that hasn't quite hit here here yet, <clears throat> but it is hitting in Canada, euthanasia. The assisted suicides. Though we might be able to see the relation be- between climate change and these terrible policies that are being implemented, or we may not be able to see the 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 changes, the, the, how they're comparable. Um, they are related. They're being pushed. They were being pushed. They're being pushed now. And it's the same elites that are keep pushing them. And they've been pushing them for decades. Let's take a look at all this stuff. This is Gene and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Okay, well, you you may have noticed my voice is gone. Believe it or not, it was far worse last week. Yes, I had COVID three weeks ago, and then I got a cold uh, last week. Um, I, I couldn't even speak. I was going to do this podcast on Thursday since news was not heavy. And, uh, I was, then I decided, okay, I'll do it Friday. Cause I was having, I just miserable. Then I said, I'm not doing it Friday. I can't even speak. So I, I let it go. I wrote this thing out. Now, a couple of things. I know there's a lot of news and we're going to have to hit this news. I, 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 I love the culture and there is a ton of culture going on today, but I really think, think that we can push the news back. For example, I understand that Joe Biden visited the Mex- the Ameri- the southern border this week, yesterday on Sunday. Didn't accomplish much. I do have comments about that. Now he's in Mexico. I, I don't know what ne- Mexico City talking to the Mexican president and the Canadian president. I don't know what he's going to get out of that. Probably nothing because they're all climate woke BS leaders. So I, I don't think anything is going to come out of that. I understand that Mexico is entering into a civil war. You may not know that because it's not really being talked about. It's not being talked about because our southern border is affected directly. 
but that is huge. And we need to talk about that. We also need to talk about the riots that are happening in Brazil. Brazil had their own, uh, their own, I don't want to say their own version of January 6th because that's what the media is saying. And honestly, they're not even comparable because down there, they are actually trying to overthrow the government because they think their elections were definitely stolen. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Today, we're just going to talk about this. We're going to talk about um, climate change. And we're going to talk about some philosophies that have been intertwined with climate change. And I will tell you one thing. I think the philosophies are the basis for climate change. I think climate change is just an excuse. All right. So first thing we're going to sit back and do, we're going to talk about a couple of concepts. These concepts are humanist in nature. Okay. Now, humanism. What is humanism? Well, humanism has been around since the time of Socrates. uh, Socrates and Plato were basically Socrates and Plato. Plato, everything that came from Socrates was from Plato. Plato and Socrates were humanists. Essentially, what humanism is, it's the belief that we're basically meat puppets. Um, we're born, we live a life, and we die. And that's it. There's nothing. Fade to black, as the Rolling Stones have said. So, that's humanism is a thing. Now, you had different takes on humanism. So, for example, you had uh, you had Rousseau who said that, yes, there's humanism, there is no God, there's nothing else, but people in general are good, and they'll always make the right decisions. Of course, Rousseau doesn't explain what the right decisions are, right? Like moral compasses. He doesn't discuss that where the moral compass comes from. Like, for example, if I decided to murder Josie tomorrow, and I'm a humanist. Well, I mean, what difference does that make? I, I murdered some, so what? I'm not going to go to hell. What, because the law says? Who made the law the moral authority? That's the problem. that Rousse, That's the thing that Rousseau doesn't really explain. Well, you had offshoots, outshoots of, um, of, uh, of humanism. So you had, for example... Uh, uh, existentialism. Existentialism basically stated your entire goal in life is to be happy. And other people are a huge problem and you need to worry only about you. So to, to worry about your happiness. This is existentialism. This is, I, I know I'm really simplifying this, but we could spend an entire semester talking about this. This is this is what Jean-Paul Sartre believed in his play, No Exit. Fantastic play. You should read it. It's very short. It's very easy to read. And it's basically, it's a stomp on your throat. It is a very shocking play. Uh, not violent, not, well, sort of sexual, but not violent. But it is an extremely shocking play. It says... That that's what it is. My happiness has to be what's first. The problem is I've got things around me that prevent me from being happy. He had a, a student 
named Albert Camus. You may have read his book in, in high school because it was something I read twice in high school called The Stranger. Albert Camus com- uh, created an offshoot philosophy called uh, absurdism because Camus felt it was absurd to think that, you know, you being happy is prevented by other people. He believed that you had to work with other people to be happy, that there are other people in the world, not just you, which is what Sartre basically thought. Sartre basically thought, and by the way, Sartre's girlfriend created modern feminism. So you can see Sartre was way out there in the first place. But uh, with, with Camus, he said, no, you've got to work with society. Because there is society out there. He did. He there are other human beings. Your personal happiness, and he said this in The Stranger, your personal ha- happiness cannot be defended dependent on everyone else. Now, The Stranger was kind of a strange book in that it basically was a analysis of a sociopathic serial killer in the making. So I'm not exact. I, I understand what he tried to say in the book. I just. I'm not sure that was exactly the book that 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 pushed that out there. That this guy who killed the example I used of me killing Josie—that's the example he used in *The Stranger*. He's got another book, a philosophical book, really boring, really short, but called *The um, The Myth of Sisyphus*, where he actually discusses that there is a society around us, and that society we have to deal with. That's part of our that's our part of our deal. But these are humanist philosophies. And then you got Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a oh what 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 is the term? He was a nihilist that basically said, hey, you know something, there are no social conventions. It's just what I want, but I still have to follow. He was kind of in between the two. I have to follow particular standards. I can't just go outside of standards. Okay, so that's humanism in a nutshell. Well, another philosophy that is uh, a humanist philosophy is something called Malthusianism. Malthusianism was a philosophy, and this is a philosophy we are dealing with today. I think directly, we are dealing with today. When we talk about uh, when we talk about climate change, when we talk about transing the kids, when we talk about abortion, when we talk about um, euthanasia. This is Malthusianism. And in a way, the mentally disabled, the, the, the people in the streets that are screaming at themselves, the drug addicted, the homeless, this is also a, a, Malthus, a, Malthusic, a Malthusiast uh, consequence, is what I'll say. So Thomas Malthus, in 1798, wrote a book that talks about how... Uh, that started the concept of the Malthusian trap. Okay, it's also known as the population trap or the Malthusian check. The main idea of his book that the population of the world is increasing exponentially, but our food supply is linear. As the population grows, the population will basically run out of food and a substantial part of the population would end up starving to death. Malthus believed there was very little we could do about this, even with the advent of technology. 
that would improve production of food, the human population would then just grow faster. So the food, the food, development of food could never catch up. Okay? And, and essentially, he believed we needed to control the population. Now, Malthus was a Christian, so he didn't believe in artificial contraception. He was a, I think he was Catholic. But he said people need to be taught, they need to make a free choice not to have children. And you see this. Uh, you see this. AOCs, I'm never having children. There's a lot, there's a big push for people not to have children these days. This is Malthusianism. With the onset of the Industrial Revolution, now, one thing Malthus did say, and I think he said this, it may have been a, a philosopher later, but one thing that was said, there are going to be certain parts of the population that will just die out and there's nothing we can do about it. There's no birth control or controlling the population that's going to save certain people. So a lot of the folks that you see are starving in Africa, for example. According to Malthusianism, maybe not Malthus directly, but according to Malthusianism, those people should just be let go. And and if when they pass away, when they go extinct, they go extinct. There's not a lot we can do about it. It's just it's just the way it is. Okay. Now, on the onset of the Industrial Revolution, this is between 1890 and about 1920 or so, food production increased substantially. Now, the anti-Malthusians believe that this is proof that Malthusianism is bunk. We shouldn't take it seriously. Because we are producing enough food for the populations. But Neo-Malthusians believe that there were that was tons of evidence that Malthusianism existed and was alive and well. They said that poverty, pollution, and hunger in poor countries is proof of Malthusianism and that we couldn't keep we couldn't keep up. Does that sound familiar? That's equity. Here's the problem. Malthus, Malthus himself would probably have seen, said that, oh, wait a minute, the population is not growing exponentially and our food is growing to the point where it's keeping up with population through technology. Okay, so technology, now understand something in 1700s, 1800s, it's very hard for him to know what, what, what uh, technology was actually going to do. But it did. And he probably would have said, no, I'm wrong. No, but this is what the left, the modern leftists today, and the neo-Malthusians of the 1900, early 1900s were basically saying, well, no, there's no equity. People are poor. People are still hungry. Right? That's still happening. There's pollution. There's something we I, I forgot to mention. They actually said, because there's pollution, Malthusian, Malthusianism is alive and well. And this is where Malthusianism came over. Overpopulation. We need to use birth control. And unlike Malthus, who didn't believe in um, extra-natural birth control, he believed in just controlling yourself. These people believed in birth control. 
up to and uh, birth control and controlling the population physically. Now enter eugenics. According to history.com, eugenics is the practice of, or advocacy of improving the human species by selectively mating people with specific desirable hereditary traits. It aims to reduce human suffering by breeding, quote, breeding out, end quote, disease, disabilities, and so-called undesirable characteristics from the human population. Early supporters of eugenics believed people inherited mental illness, criminal tendencies, and even poverty. And these conditions could be bred out of the gene pool. The term was first, and this is from me now, the term was first coined by Sir Francis Galton in 1883. It became popular in the United States in about 1903. And the United States made it illegal for people, for example, with epilepsy and those who were mentally slow to get married and have children. So this was a serious deal. Now, one of the things it doesn't really talk about is that abortion was a big thing with eugenesis. Okay? Eugenesis loved abortion. We'll get to one of the more famous abortion eugenicists ever in a second. But continuing, according to History.com, John Harvey Kellogg of Kellogg Serial Fame organized the Race Betterment Foundation in 1911. Ooh, that sounds terrible. And established a pedigree registry. The foundation hosted national conferences on eugenics in 1914, 1915, and 1928. Eugenics in America took a dark turn in the early 20th century, led by California, of course, California, from 1909 to 1979. Around 20,000 sterilizations occurred in California mental state, state mental institutions under the guise of protecting society from the offspring of people with mental illness. Many sterilizations were forced and performed on minorities. 33 states would eventually allow involuntary sterilization on whoever lawmakers deemed unworthy to procreate. Yeah, that's scary, huh? Who was the biggest proponents, one of the biggest proponents of eugenics? Margaret Sanger. Do you know who she is? She's the founder of Planned Parenthood. She's a, she is the one that actually built abortion clinics. These clinics were not for reproductive health. They were to get rid of babies. She was a rabid eugenicist. She was very, she was so extreme. She was not allowed to talk at conferences. And a lot of her books were rejected by the eugenics uh, societies. Even Planned Parenthood right now is hiding her from history. Why? She was a racist. A horrid racist. She built her Planned Parenthood clinics, much like Planned Parenthood does today, in black neighborhoods, because she wanted to eliminate black procreation. By the way, anyone who sits there and tells you that it is racist to not want abortion, have yet to explain why. No one points this out. Even politicians don't talk about this, who are supposedly pro-life. Why is it, of all the abortions, blacks make up 
12%, 13% of the population. And yet, they make up 30, 35% of all abortions. Isn't it racist to be pro-abortion and not racist to want more black children born? I've made this comment several times. That's because I read one of Margaret Sanger's book, books, and they're really hard to find. You really have to search for these things. Called Women and the New Race. She seems to make Hitler look tame when it comes to race. In fact, most eugenicists were hailed by Hitler, who was who used a lot of in Mein Kampf a lot of the things he said. He said, and I haven't read Mein Kampf, I just have no interest, but he said he would point to eugenicists in the United States and say, this is the way to go. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Okay, so we talked about eugenicists. We talk about, we talk about, we talked about uh, eugenics and Malthusianism. So what does this have to do with climate change? And I'm, actually asking you so you could answer. If you still don't see the par- the comparison, if you still don't see the parallel between Malthusianism, Malthusianism, eugenics, and climate change, I got a couple clips here that's going to show you some stuff. So the climate crisis. This is supposed to be the biggest disaster in the history of the world. We must do something about it because according to the left, every time there's a weather event, um, it's just one step closer to world destruction. Every weather event, by the way, is proof that the world is pissed off and is going to kill us. Now, granted, there's not a lot of scientists that think that one weather event determines any of this, but that's okay. The left will just censor them or ignore them, or if they can, destroy these people's career. They've been notorious for this. And Twitter is actually exposing a lot of this today. So we we know it's happening. California right now, for example, is going through a a series of storms. Um, This is because of a phenomenon called El Nino. Warm water comes up from Mexico because the currents change every few years, every four to five years, I think, heading to Northern California waters where it comes in contact with cold waters. The mix of the warm and the cold water begin to condense, condense, and they create clouds. Um, Evaporation creates clouds. That's how you get clouds. Clouds rise. They are pushed by winds onto land. The humidity is really high, and that leads to rain on the land. The rain continues southward. In the case of El Nino here, it's coming up from Mexico. It's reaching the border of California and Washington State, and then moves into uh, Eureka, which is north of San Francisco, and then it cruises all the, the storms cruise all the way down to Los Angeles, San Diego, for the most part. Okay, this is, I think they call it a a weather river or something. I I can't remember, a a rain river. And it pretty much goes for 
a long time. It, it will last basically all through the winter on the West Coast. All right. Um, this crap has been happening every three or four years since the 1970s. <clears throat> Some years, like this year, it's really bad. Some years, like in the drought years, it's not so bad. Creates a little bit of rain, no big deal. When we have brutal El Ninos, we get a ton of rain. When we have El Ninos that aren't so bad, that are very minor, we have um, we have droughts because we don't get uh, we use a lot of water in California. For some reason, we don't use the ocean. I that's another story altogether, and actually create fresh water. But this crap happens every three, four, four, five years. It, it's it's constant. It's been around. I've been. I have been in California on on and off since the 70s. It's always been like this. Okay. But El Nino event that we're seeing right now, oh, this is unprecedented. I got bad news to you. This happened in the 70s. It happened again in the 80s. It happened again in the 90s. I used to live in Santa Monica. The, the, the freaking cliffs would constantly be falling. This was nothing new. If you drive through Malibu, you can see where the cliffs have disappeared. It's been happening for decades. Well, here's San Francisco Mayor London Breed blaming what now? The El Nino? The weather patterns of El Nino? Of course not. It's all part of the climate crisis. California, often when we're talking about California and the weather in the past 12 months, we've been talking about the historic drought conditions that California has been facing. What does all of this mean for that, Mayor? Well, we've been talking about drought. We've been talking about wildfires. I mean, the fact is global warming is, is a real thing and we need to, climate change is a real thing and we need to make the kinds of investments necessary to prepare for things like this. In San Francisco, we have over $630 million of work happening as we speak to deal with stormwater and challenges like what we're talking about in neighborhoods that historically, you know, in conditions that are not as severe as even today in New Year's Eve, have impacted specific neighborhoods. And so we have to prepare for the future. We have to think about the kinds of things that are gonna impact our cities um, all over the country, especially because climate change is real and we have to start to prepare for it and invest in our infrastructure. Yeah, and it's, as we've been talking, it's not even preparing for it, right? It's happening now. We have to deal with the, there's very little preparation needed anymore is kind of what we're looking at with the climate crisis. Just So old, so boring. Hey, newsflash, if, um it was the fault of climate change. No, I, I, let me let me let me change the way I'm going to put this. Um, we have El Nino every four to five years. This is not rocket science. If you guys didn't have the money to prepare for this, then you guys didn't prepare for this because this happens all the time. And by the way, yes, we have droughts. If El Nino El Nino is our savior, we like when El Nino comes around and we like the tons of rain because the tons of rain bring us the water we're so desperate for. The droughts are also not a sign of climate change. California, this is going to shock everybody, outside of the coast, California is a big desert. It has always been a big desert. We have always had droughts. None of this, none of this is about 
climate change. It's something that California has always dealt with. Big rain every four to five years and droughts for three or four years. Sometimes we have droughts that last 10 years, but it's not a, it shouldn't be a huge shock. Now, the, the big point that she's making, money. We need money. Yeah, money, 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 money. Well, here, here's the thing. They always say that they can fix anything with more money. So let me get this straight. You haven't fixed, you've been given more money for the drug problem. That hasn't been fixed. You've been given more money for the health crisis. That hasn't been fixed. You've been given more money for homelessness. That hasn't been fixed. Uh, but you're going to fix the weather with more money. How about this? It's not more money. You don't need more money. How about you use the money you need, you, uh, the money you need to prevent the problems from happening in San Francisco? Right now, San Francisco is underwater. Why? Because they just never, their infrastructure is so bad in California. That's why we have forest fires here. Why we would have forest fires in California, but not in Oregon, not in Washington, and not in Idaho, which share the same forests? I don't know. Bad infrastructure, bad forest management. That's that's California. Now, another idiot that likes to talk about climate crisis, it's always climate, we're all going to die, Greta Thunberg. The 18-year-old. Now, I, th- I think she's 19 years old now, so we can make fun of her. Well, I made fun of her when she was 16 because she's just too much of an idiot. Here she is talking about the climate anxiety that is created because of global warming or a climate crisis or whatever. And yet, she really doesn't have anything that proves anything or gives reasons for anything. And of course, she doesn't have any solutions except to get rid of capitalism. And she's always bitching about the United States. She never seems to bitch about, you know, China or India, which actually produce way more carbon than the United States does. Because the United States is capitalist and we have invented and innovated technology that prevents it. She never does talks about that. But let's listen to her um, fear monger. Oh, yeah. uh, Greta, these days, you, you're still just 19 years old and you are a key voice in this huge global movement. That comes with a lot of pressure. What helps you deal with that? The most important thing is knowing that we are so many people who are, who are fighting for the same cause. I have so many friends who, who I can share this with and who, who, who are also activists. Uh, and without them, it, it would not be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because the climate crisis has so many different sides to it. It's not just the fact that that the, the planet is heating up. It's also about droughts, it's about famines, it's about floods, it's about the displacements of tens of millions of people happening already today, already earlier this month that we have seen. Um, and that is, there are different sides to this story that we must tell. Mm-hmm. I would say that it's it's very understandable to feel overwhelmed because the things we'll, we're talking about, the things we're dealing with, are existential threats to humanity unlike anything the world has ever seen before. So it's very understandable to, to not know exactly where to begin and what to do about it. Um, and that's why for me it, it helped to do something con- concrete and that I started to read up more about it. I started to educate myself and when I became fully aware of it I sort of knew myself what I could do and, and then I I, I made the decision to start school striking for the climate. Um, but 
but also, as I mentioned earlier, connect with other people who feel the same thing, who share the same values as you. Uh, because when you're together in this struggle, then there is no, there are no limits to what you can accomplish. Okay, um, she's a child, and her parents are listening to her. You know, if her parents are listening to her, listening to any child, they're idiots too. And to be honest with you, to tell you the truth, she's been put. The, their parents have put this into her. The parents are making money off of her. She is a kid who never went to school. So when she says, I self-educated, you can take that with a grain of salt, okay? But she's a girl who has Asperger's syndrome. She has OCD. She has all these issues. Why are you listening to this broad? And by the way, she's legal. So I can call her a broad if I want. But people do. And do you notice all that time, and by the way, I cut a minute and a half off that, that clip. She never explained exactly how the world's going to end. She doesn't explain when the world's going to end. She doesn't explain what proof, scientific proof, that the world's going to end. But meanwhile, she can go and talk all she wants, and she's never banned for misinformation anywhere. Meanwhile, the person, a, a, a real climatologist, an anthropologist, logical climatologist said she's full of crap a couple of months ago and said here's why that person was banned off Twitter go figure so as I don't want to say retarded but it fits so as brain dead as Greta is no one drops the ball like Bill Gates does and he we begin to see what these elitists actually think this is from a ted talk about 12 years ago yes that's how long this crap has been going on he accidentally lets the cat out of the bag when it comes to climate and it really does damage anything he has to say about vaccines for covid which he definitely has an opinion on Listen to what he says here. Now, mind you, that's, this was 12 years ago in 2011. Listen. You've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out uh, per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now uh, that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. Now, some people, and by the way, all these clips last week, all these clips were about, I guess things aren't working out for the left. They got to find something else to bitch about. Okay. Um, basically what he, I know, I know he said it 12 years ago, but it, the, the, it came about on Twitter last week. Now, one of the things he's talking about, he's talking about a formula on how you lower CO2 production. And so vaccines and all this stuff, 
we can lower the population by 10 to 15 percent. Hmm, that's really interesting. By the way, do you know who uh, Bill Gates... I Now, granted, how Bill Gates is an expert on climate and vaccines and COVID when he stole an operating system from Apple, how he's an actual expert on any of this, I don't know either. But he is. He's on CNN and MSNBC constantly. He's speaking at the World Economic Forum constantly. He's speaking He's speaking at all these climate uh, conferences constantly. And yet, he doesn't seem to have any expertise on any of this stuff. But it doesn't matter, because he's saying the right things. And the World Economic Forum, oh my God, loves him. Don't forget, Bill Gates was at some sort of World Leader Summit. Now, the World Leader Summit was supposed to be like presidents and dictators and things like that. He showed up. So did Klaus Schwab. And he's a huge fan of the World Economic Forum. He speaks at their conferences at least twice a year. Matter of fact, there's a conference coming up for the WEF later. But he isn't the only elitist that believes that the population is a big problem and we need to lower our population a little bit. Here's anthropologist Jane Goodall. Now, you may remember her. The name may sound familiar. She's the broad that actually sat in, sat in Africa with the monkeys and played with the monkeys and became friends with the monkeys. Yeah, she says, oh, yeah, no, the population is way too much. We need to cut it down to what it was like 500 years ago. Listen to this. This was, by the way, a couple weeks ago. We cannot hide away from human population growth because, you know, it underlies so many of the other problems. All these things we talk about wouldn't be a problem if there, were, if there was the size of population that there was 500 years ago. Um, we have 8 billion people on the planet right now. We just passed it about a month ago. 8 billion. What was the population 500 years ago? About 350 to 500 million. Um, bet she won't be one of those people that gets put into the mulch machine to lower the population. Why? Um, because she's really an important person and you're not. I'm not. Matter of fact, I'm less important because I'm sitting here doing the stupid podcast that everyone listens to. That's uh, not everyone, but a bunch of people, some people listen to. This is insane. This is absolute insanity. What Bill Gates and Jane Goodall are talking about is Malthusianism. Here's the problem with Malthusianism. It leads to eugenics. It leads to, we need to create the elite. It leads to, um, you know what? That popular, F them. Let them die off. Well, I got one more thing I'm going to show you because, again, this was last Sunday, a week from last Sunday, a week from this Sunday, past Sunday. Uh, the CBS television show, 60 Minutes, decided to jump on the climate bandwagon, too, in the most Malthusian way possible. <coughs> and they did this <coughs> excuse me, by bringing in some dinosaur 
that promises that we are all going to die within the next 15 minutes if we do not kill capitalism, live by eating bugs, and get rid of everything that makes life convenient. Because there are just too many people in the world. His name is Paul Elrich. And he wrote a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb, which says that people are causing the destruction of the earth and we're all going to die because we're all going to starve. Um, before we get into that book, though, let's listen to a couple things he said on 60 Minutes. And then we'll get into what he, what he said in his book and all, all the stupid philosophy that he has. Let's listen to his first clip here, where he's he's talking about his history. Well, no, he's talking about, I don't I can't remember. Let's just listen to the clip. Too many people too much consumption, and growth mania. At the age of 90, biologist Paul Ehrlich may have lived long enough to see some of his dire prophecies come true. You seem to be saying that humanity is not sustainable. No, humanity is not sustainable. To maintain uh, our lifestyle, yours and mine, basically for the entire planet, you'd need five more Earths. Not clear where they're going to come from. Just in terms of the resources that would be required. Resources that would be required, um, the systems that support our lives, which of course are the biodiversity uh, that we're wiping out. Uh, humanity is very busily sitting on a limb that we're sawing off. Okay, that's what he said. Uh, it, it, I couldn't remember exactly what he said. And by the way, I'm just going to talk about this guy. If you want to, all his crap has been debunked. There are two great articles from The Federalists and from Michael Schellenberger uh, on his Substack that basically debunk all this. Uh, the Federalist just attacks him. Michael Schellenberger actually has statistics. And by the way, Michael Schellenberger, no right-winger. He's actually a climate, he's a climate activist. He just realizes these people have gone completely off the wire. Okay, so uh, uh, everything this guy has said, basically, has been BS for the last 50 years. None of this stuff he's talking about right now is true. In fact, we have more food now, due to technology, than we ever had. The Federalists pointed out also that the life expectancy when Eldridge was born back in 1936 or 38, I can't remember because I don't like him and I don't care, was 61. The life expectancy today is 78. And Elrich is 90. So, does it sound like the earth is falling apart and we're all going to die? Now, one thing he did say that I really got a kick out, out of was the changing of systems. Because the reality, this is his goal. So, let's listen to this next clip. Uh, here he's lamenting how most Chris, uh, how most countries aren't listening to his doom talk. Listen. Finding solutions to the problems was the goal two weeks ago at the UN Biodiversity Conference, where nations agreed to conservation targets. But at the same meeting in 2010, those nations agreed to limit the destruction of the Earth by 2020, and not one of those goals was met. This despite thousands of studies, including the continuing research of Stanford biologist 
Paul Ehrlich. You know that there is no political will to do any of the things that you're recommending. I know there's no political will to do any of the things that I'm concerned with, which is exactly why I and the vast majority of my colleagues think we're, we've had it, that the next few decades will be the end of the kind of civilization we're used to. In the 50 years since Ehrlich's population bomb, humanity's feasting on resources has tripled. We're already consuming 175% of what the Earth can regenerate. And consider, half of humanity, about 4 billion, live on less than $10 a day. They aspire to cars, air conditioning, and a rich diet. Most countries don't buy this crap because this crap is crazy. People do not want to go back to living in the dark. People like innovation that has raised the wealth of most people in the world. They like eating. They like being able to keep warm. So no, they're not going to go for this. Also, most scientists think he's a freak. They don't hold the same opinions as he does. As a matter of fact, if you go to a website, I'm not going to have time to do it, but you go to dumbassestalkingpolitics.com, I've got a fantastic article by Michael Schellenberger, who's a real climate activist, who will tell you, yeah, everything this guy said was wrong. He's been wrong his entire life. So, no, most scientists don't agree with him. Then, their narrator goes off on how we're consuming three times the resources we used to. Mostly food is what they're talking about, because this is all about Malthusianism. And the reality is, he doesn't bring up that we're producing ten times the resources due to technology. There's a reason in the United States and Europe we got a weight problem. We have more food. Throughout this 15-minute story, not once did C uh, CBS introduce a countering point. One person, one scientist, that just sits there and says, no, this guy's wrong. And he's always been wrong. And here's why. That's why I want you to read the Schellenberger piece. Because he throw shows scientific studies that show he's wrong. Like the polar bears. I watched the entire video, the entire uh, segment, and they were still talking about the, the effing polar bears. And we've already talked about it. The polar bears are not going extinct. Their, their populations are growing. They're about to be pulled off of the endangered list. Okay, so let's, let's go over this Ehrlich guy, okay? Um, here's some things. This is from The Federalist. This is some things that he was saying back in the 1970s. So let's let The Federalist kind of sum it up for us. The battle to feed, quote, the battle to feed humanity is over, end quote. The opening line of the population bomb reads, quote, in the 1970s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now, end quote, Ehrlich wrote. It was likely, he went on, that the oceans would be without life by 1979, and the United States would see the population plummet to, to 23 million by 1999 due to pesticides. The death rate will increase until about 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. 
he famously told Mademoiselle magazine in 1970. Did anything that he said happen? Zero. Absolutely none. None of these theories came to light. But they're still being they're still being pushed but people by people like Al Gore, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Greta Thunberg. They keep spouting the same philosophy. But they do something different than Elridge did. Elridge made the huge mistake of actually giving dates. At least he did that. He had the balls to do that. Al Gore, in 2000, when we released that, that Inconvenient Truth crap that he won a Nobel Prize for and he won an Oscar for, said that by 2010, yeah, we're all going to be dead. 2010 came and then what is he saying? Oh, about, about 2020. AOC's doing the same thing. She said in 2018, oh, by about 2030. Well, it's 2023 and we're not seeing any of this crap. So this stuff has been happening for a really long time. And if you want to point to the fact, it's been happening since the 1960s. They've been talking this crap since the 1960s. So why is this busting my ass? Why am I talking about this for 55 minutes, 60 minutes? Is it the goal of Greta Thunberg, Al Gore, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, or the United Nations to end global warming? Is that why they're all pushing this crap? The answer is a resounding no. Climate change is just an excuse to create a new world order. I mean, Klaus Schwab has said it in his books. It is a way for the elites to change the way we live. The w- change the way, uh, change what we own. Change our behavior. Control the world economy. Control the social order. If this was if this was about climate change, why don't these people go after China or India? Well, the reason is China and India are already controlling their social order. China, there are no rights in China. There are no rights in India. India still has a caste system, for Christ's sake, that you can't go up or down. The reason is China is that the all these groups, they want to take the rights away. The rights that are given to us by law, by the Constitution, they want to take those away from us because that's the only way they can be we can be controlled. They want to get rid of free speech, freedom of religion, right to bear arms. They, because they don't want us to have any of that stuff. That's why it's the very same people that keep pushing this. The reason Klaus Schwab celebrated COVID is because the the lockdowns showed that the people in the United States could be controlled. That's what made these lockdowns so freaking dangerous. They were training us. The government was training us. Many like me think they're going to do the same thing. They're going to lock us down because of climate change. Because of the, the sun monster, as Michael Knowles puts it. In many ways, it's already happening. Do you think high gas price as uh, high gas prices are an accident? Do you think the supply chain failures they're an accident? 
What about the airline shortages where people are being stuck in airports? Hey, newsflash, limiting travel is part of the plan. How about the energy shortages? Low electricity, low water, everything we need to survive. How about the food shortages, the baby formula shortage? How about the medicine shortages? For example, you get a cold, you want to get some NyQuil, there's a shortage of that stuff. All of this, they're trying to make the new normal. You think $4.50 gas, $4.50 gas, that's going to go down? No, they want that to be the normal. The big thing, shrinking of the population is also part of the eugenics platform. They want to shrink the population for two reasons. A smaller population is easier to control and monitor, and a smaller population will actually break down the civilization. They want the United States to have a very small population because they want to break us down. And that's what's happening. And they're doing it. Abortion, transing the kids, the push for homosexuality, drug legalization, euthanasia. All this is to shrink the population. Don't kid yourself. Okay. I know. Real heavy. Real heavy deal. Uh, visit my website at dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. We'll have, there's more there. A lot of links. A lot of good reading. I hope you guys have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.